I'd like to thank Emetics for the invitation to speak today. So, I guess my job is to keep everybody awake after lunch, but if everybody's tired, there's 10 beds back here, I just noticed. So you feel free to take a, take a nap. Okay, so also my cell phone, if you have any questions, just feel free to contact me 24-7. My patients do too. That's scary. Okay. So questions, confessions about debates. One, I've never debated anything in my life. I've never been in a debate club. I've never even won a debate with my kids or my ex-wife or my children. Even my son last night, I lost a debate at one o'clock in the morning. Okay, there are no absolutes in life. And therefore, I won't be surprised or insulted or depressed if I lose any of these debates today. So, okay, let's talk about gold standards for inflammatory bowel disease, right? So. I've heard probably about six or seven times in various talks, even this morning, that the gold standard is to treat to endoscopic remission or mucosal healing. So I feel like I could just walk off the stage right now because everybody else has already sort of really pushed that as the goal. So why is that? Why are we looking at endoscopic remission as a gold standard? And it's been said multiple times this morning that patients that actually that you get into endoscopic remission or have mucosal healing have better outcomes. So just very briefly, two examples. One was Shah et al. Um, okay. Shah et al. in 2016 looking at um, every study that you could, they could find on patients either on biologics or non-biologics that had an endoscopic evaluation after initiation of therapy and compared patients that had mucosal healing versus not having mucosal hearing healing. And at 52 weeks, the patients that had mucosal healing at the, after the initiation of therapy had a greater significant number of patients in long-term remission, patients that had achieved long-term corticosteroid-free remission and were free of colectomy. So patients that you get into mucosal healing have less have more remission and less complications. And the same thing is true of Crohn's disease. In multiple studies have demonstrated that if you use endoscopic procedures and adjust therapy, you can, you can achieve mucosal healing much, much better, and these patients have better outcomes. So the question really comes up is, is that true for biologic therapies or anything? So the study by, the meta-analysis by, oops, sorry. How do you go backwards? The meta-analysis um, by Shadal actually made no difference. So the study was actually looked at, uh, at 13 studies, over 2,000 patients, and all those patients were either on, the, there was no difference in terms of patients being on biologics or non-biologics in, uh, in terms of the outcomes of patients that have mucosal healing do better. So if you extrapolate that, why isn't that not true of the newer biologics or the newer therapies? So really it comes down to the question, as long as there's data for the new therapies for mucosal healing, why wouldn't that be our endpoint? And if we think about all the clinical trials that are going on right now, that's been really sort of mandated by the FDA as well, that you have not just clinical remission as an endpoint for patients on clinical trials, but also that mucosal healing, and, and it's become a mandate in terms of all clinical trials for inflammatory bowel disease. So then the big question comes up naturally, right? Do the new therapies actually, are they associated with mucosal healing? Because how can you use that as a gold standard if they don't actually induce mucosal healing or endoscopic remission? So the data for, that we know from vitalizumab from the Gemini studies is that you do see 
mucosal improvement at 40, at, at six weeks as well as 52 weeks. And that the data is significant in terms of the number of patients actually re achieving that mucosal improvement. And just last month, Coetzee et al. Um, demonstrated in a study that a real-world data of 227 patients that were placed on vitalizumab through induction through 52 weeks, that the clinical remission, sorry, the clinical remission um, was about 22% overall in patients with Crohn's disease and, over, and the, the objective remission, either by endoscopic results or, or radiology studies, was about 19%, so they were similar. Same thing for ulcerative colitis, 61% clinical remission, 44% endoscopic remission. So the conclusion from a vitalizumab standpoint is that patients on vitalizumab can achieve that endoscopic or remission or mucosal healing. The data for tofacitinib is also similar, and I would actually confess that tofacitinib doesn't count as a biologic. It isn't an antibody-based drug, but again, it's, it's a medication that we'll consider as part of the new therapies. For that, also there's clinical data that's been published in New England Journal of Medicine, basically stating, showing that you can achieve mucosal healing, you can achieve endoscopic remission, and at 52 weeks, you can achieve a significant um, difference in terms of Zelgens versus placebo in terms of mucosal healing and sustained mucosal healing. So again, you can use mucosal healing as a targeted endpoint for tofacitinib. And similarly, for ustekinumab. Ustekinumab, the data at six months and 12 months that's been published, indicates that you can, again, achieve endoscopic, endoscopic remission, endoscopic response, as well as significant overall objective response. So again, yes, you can use ustekinumab and use endoscopic and radiological remission and response as an endpoint for treatment of Crohn's disease. Okay, so that's good, but then if you think about as a clinician, are the patients that are in endoscopic remission or have achieved mucosal healing the same patients that have the clinical response, right? So if you think about, because does that make a difference? When we're in private practice or when we're practicing treating our patients, how are we gonna treat, how are we gonna assess these patients? From this standpoint, there have been comparative studies. For example, Maidal um, looked at ustekinumab at six and 12 months and compared the objective endpoints of either radiologic or endoscopic um, assessment as well as clinical response and remission. And the data were similar both at six, month, at six months, at 12 months, as well as at the end of their observation periods. So you could make the argument that maybe you don't need to do mucosal healing because the clinical responses are similar, right? But then the question is, are they the same patients? So we all know this, right? That Patients that irritable bowel syndrome or functional bowel disease and IBD are not mutually exclusive, that patients come hand in hand. And when we see patients in our clinic, we're seeing them not only try to figure out how to get them better and get them on therapies, but when I sit down with a patient, I'm trying to think through all the algorithms, but I'm also, I'm also keeping an eye on them because I really want to know, are their symptoms 80% IBD and 20% IBS or 80% IBS and 20% IBD? Right? Because that's the huge difference of whether they get my cell phone or not. Right? <laughs> if they're 80% IBD, they will get my cell phone and they can call me 24-7. If they're IBS, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to give them my cell phone. Okay. But we also know that, you know, my, my, ex, my girlfriend's like, you're crazy. 
like all these phone calls at, like in the middle of the night. Okay, so the but we do know that from multiple different studies that the prevalence of IBS or function or irritable bowel syndrome in the setting of IBD is upwards of 39%, and that increases when you have active disease, right? So we know that, and we also know from other studies that you could have quiescent disease, a normal fecal calprotectin, and 31% of patients will still have IBS symptoms. So we really can't correlate the clinical symptoms many times with patients' disease activity. We just can't do it. It just, it just doesn't become accurate. So the other thing that we think about, the argument that you could potentially make about not doing um, assessment of disease activity using either radiologic evidence or doing endoscopic studies is they can't afford it. And that's actually a really good argument. David Rubin had a really good, study, a really good patient questionnaire-based study and showed that 66% of patients have healthcare-related financial worry, 25% report delays in medical care, and 48% reported that, they, that um, the delay was due to cost concerns. So the question, and I see this all the time in our academic, academic setting because our colonoscopies are cost significantly more than the neighboring gastroenterologists in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm referring all my, many of my patients out to the neighborhoods to get their colonoscopies and, and collaborate on care. But it is a significant worry if they can't assess your clinical, your endoscopic response because they can't afford their response. And that's an, a somewhat valid point. But that's not what we're talking about today, right? The debate is on whether it should be a gold standard, not whether it's, quote, feasible. So I like that argument because I can win one, I don't know if I can win all of them. So basically what, what I was sort of, what the position I would make is that debate isn't about whether it's feasible in the real world, the debate is about whether it should be a gold standard that we should at least try to achieve. So from that standpoint, we want to achieve at least try to or at least consider achieving that endoscopic response or endoscopic remission or the mucosal healing because it does improve outcomes. What the debate doesn't ask and what, what I truly haven't quite figured out the answer to is when do you assess that objective evidence for mucosal healing and what if you don't induce that endoscopic remission? What should be your next step? And those are big questions that everybody asks in private practice as well as in academia. Okay. but. You can ask that question, should you optimize therapies or change therapies if you don't achieve endoscopic remission? In the real world, you should always be striving for, to ultimately for endoscopic remission, clinical remission, over clinical remission because the outcomes are improved. But in the real world, you may have to balance that out with the ability to not achieve endoscopic remission, the ability to, for patients to afford their care, and the fact that we are dealing with a limited armamentarium of therapies in terms of every, and taking every patient sort of in, at an individual basis. But that still doesn't mean that the gold standard or the ultimate goal shouldn't be endoscopic remission. No matter what, we should still keep in mind that endoscopic remission or mucosal healing is associated with mucosal, is associated with clinical remission, longer cortical steroid-free remission, as well as um, decreased complications and better outcomes. So the argument that I would make is that you have to consider endoscopic remission or mucosal healing as a goal because the outcomes are ultimately better in those patients that can achieve it and that um, ultimately that's what would be best for the patient.